Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, happy Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Primary election day, primary day in the state of Mississippi. Hope that you have exercised your constitutional privilege, constitutional right to uh, to vote. And if you haven't, you've still got time. Polls do not close in the state of Mississippi until 7 o'clock. And so you've got three hours and 54 minutes remaining. Uh, obviously, statewide um, election going on, but uh, also a bunch of local races all over the state of Mississippi. And those are really important. Um, there's probably an argument to be made that uh, in in your day to day life, that the uh, the local elections even mean a little bit more to you in terms of the roads around your home and how your city or county spends its money and uh, some of those things. So uh, take advantage of that today. Hope you will. We're glad to have you along. Uh, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Coming to you from the Renaissance Bank Studio. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. You can text the show, the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Uh, good to be with you. What's up, guys? Borky, how are you on a Tuesday? Doing well. Um, had a little, not, a, not an incident. Had a little run-in with somebody I accidentally cut off on the road today. That was not fun. I got an earful, and I deserved it, though. Wait, what did you do? So I I accidentally cut somebody off. So when you're leaving our office and you get on the interstate mm-hmm. and you're going north, so I was going home to check on my wife and stuff, and, and when you merge onto the highway, you've got a very short period to where you either have to get over onto 55 or you're stuck on 220. I don't want to get on 220 because it takes me far away from my house. So I had to kind of sure. speed up and get into uh, get into 55. In doing so, I kind of had to cut somebody off. Like I really did. It, I feel bad about it, but he happened to take the same exit I did. So he followed me all the way up into my exit. And when we got to a stoplight, he rolled down the window and had some choice words for me, all of which I just let him let him go because i kind of deserved it but other than that today's been pretty good did you just like look at him and go my bad I'm sorry. I, I said sir i'm sorry i'm sorry i know i did i'm sorry and and he after the first couple of f-bombs he realized that i was not going to argue back and that i knew that i cut him off and i shouldn't have and i was apologetic so it, it ended up being okay but uh, the first few first few look, words were not pretty yeah okay fair enough i will say this though if you know where Borky's talking about, you're talking about the county line road exit where you are turning right or north off of county line road to get 
into the on-ramp that takes you onto 55, and you got to get over like three lanes in a hurry, or you're going to get on that 220 exit that Borky's talking about. It's not an easy one to maneuver, and there's a lot of traffic there. And so it's just kind of part of the game, though, right? I mean, sometimes you're just going to have to cut somebody off, and sometimes you're going to get cut off in that uh, that process. Yeah, and today I was the cutter offer, and uh, I never got his name, but uh, Sir in the pickup truck did not appreciate that very much. Yeah, fair uh, fair enough. Uh, hey, Dad, happy Tuesday. Hey, how's it going? You cut anybody off today? No, but I had a propane tra- tank uh, truck try to come over into my lane and uh, nearly run me over. So I was about to ask Borky if he was in Starkville driving a propane truck. Oh, there you go. I um, When I left the studio yesterday, so studio in Oxford is on Highway 6, and to go home, I go east on Highway 6, and then I take the uh, the Jackson Avenue exit. And there's always a lot of traffic through there. I felt bad for a truck that was pulling a trailer. It was a load of granite counter, either granite or marble countertops. And if you've gone through like a house remodel or building a house, or have just dealt in countertops at all, you know that countertops are expensive. And it usually takes a while to get them done. Like if you go through the, for whatever reason, the people that work in the granite and marble countertop industry, they always seem to be backed up. And the fabrication process takes a while. And the transportation of that stuff is that it's like a tedious process because it's fragile. I mean, you're talking about rock, but if you cut out like a sinkhole or there's a, an odd curve in it, you got to be really careful with it. I mean, sometimes just carrying those things, they can break. So this guy who's got a load of either granite or marble countertops that have already been fabricated is making a left-hand turn off of Jackson Avenue coming out of a stoplight. So he's been stopped. And so he hits the gas and makes a left-handed turn, uh, left-hand turn onto Oxford Loop, and an entire slab of oh. countertop falls off. <laughs> it's got enough momentum that it goes, it, it cracks into a million pieces, and then there's this one big, like three-foot chunk that just goes sliding across. I almost swerved to miss it. Not that it would have mattered if I had run over it at that point uh, across Jackson Avenue. So uh, tough break for uh, that guy. I don't know who that cost, but there are actually multiple people that probably it costs. Like the homeowner that it was headed to, toward, they've now got to wait another couple of weeks to get another slab of granite or marble and get them refabricated and then put in. And when you get to the point where you're putting countertops in, you're almost done with the construction project. So it slows everything down. And then the poor guy that's driving the truck and the fabricator, they're going to have to eat the cost on that. That stinks all the way around. That's all bad. Every bit of All it. bad. Rippy, what's up? Not much. I don't really have any road stories. Although, Borky, you can't do that. It's like rule number one of driving is if whether it's your fault or not, you act like it's other dudes. Like, like not, what George <laughs> says? Yeah, so I'm not taking an earful from truck guy, even if it was my fault. Um, uh, so, George, on the, let me interrupt. George on the C Spire text line, why worry about these people? If they were someone I probably will never see again, I could care less. Different if it's somebody like a friend or relative or my mother. But if it's somebody I don't know, I really could care less what they think. Yeah, but what if it, it's like mm, a listener on, of the show and somebody that maybe owns a local business and one of our salespeople goes and calls on them and says, actually, no, because 
Yeah, I don't want to go down that road. Well, I mean, if he found all that information out while yelling at you at a red light, then checkmate to him. <laughs> well done. Um, Here's one. How about the poor guy that lost the boat off the trailer yesterday afternoon at Old uh, Canton Lake Harbor? Ooh, I didn't see this. No bueno. Ooh, I was driving down twenty the other day. I guess it was, and there was a gigantic chair in the middle of the road, sitting like normal, like like not upside down or anything. And I was behind a car, and it swerved really quick. It uh. Like uh, so, I couldn't see very far in front of me because his car's in front of me, and then he starts going off the road. I was like, "Oh, this guy's hammered." And then I realized that, like, <laughs> oh, I just a, ran over a recliner. That, yeah, well, no, I didn't hit it. I missed it barely, but like, I didn't have much time to react. It's pretty good reflexes, if I must say so myself. No big deal. But I didn't have much time to react, and I missed the chair too. But it was like really dangerous. It was a pretty big chair. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I completely interrupted your train of thought a second ago. Oh no, I got the full thought out. It, you, you can't act like it's your fault. And you yell back at him, or maybe like double bird it, and then put the double birds in your ears while he's yelling at you. Pro tip. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just suggested that you double bird him and then give him the double bird finger in your ear earmuffs. I can't hear you. No, 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 no. Unless he owns a business that sponsors the show, and the salespeople have called him before, then maybe don't do that. In which case, you apologize and. Barry and Laurel says, if I didn't wreck and he didn't, I'd tell him to go kick rocks. There we go. See, I can see eye to eye with most of these text people. Here's one. If you acknowledge the mistake, the middle finger of the offended driver should retract. We all make mistakes. Just got to own up to it. Borky, did you get a middle finger? No, but I got some F words. So okay. I guess that's about the same thing. Um, When's the last time you had somebody actually shoot you the bird <coughs> in traffic? Hey, Dad, does that happen? Did you give the bird today? Hey, Dad? I couldn't to catch the propane shot. I was going to. I didn't. I couldn't catch up to the guy. And then my turn came, and he just kept on What does that accomplish, though? I would have felt better. I'd have, I'd no had, a choice, I'd had a choice word for him, too. What about the guy that shakes his fist at you? Oh, I'm going to get you. Well, that, that, now how, I don't now know about the fist shaking. Yeah. But it does accomplish something. Like, if you give it what, a really firm, long one where they can see, like, the lining of your fingernail and everything, like, the message gets across. Yeah. Do you honk at people? Mm, not really. You're more likely to use the finger than the horn? Depends on the offense. Oh, Thomas, not a good line. Not a good line. He says people shoot bullets rather than the bird nowadays. That's, uh, ugh. Barry and Laurel says the Orange Beach Expressway had a boat lying in the road off the trailer last month. <laughs> Borky, <laughs> what kind of driver are you if you, I'm sorry. Hey, Dad, what kind of driver are you if you can't catch a propane truck? Well, there was another car in front of me. I couldn't just run him over. Barry, I'm a pro wrestler, and the bad guy, I see the middle finger every weekend at least ten times from kids to grand. Whoa! Barry, you're a professional wrestler? Get him on the show. Uh, here's one. I got double birded with both my kids in the car, all because I honked at a crazy lady that was texting when the light had been green for 20 to 30 seconds. Double birds. Sports Talk Mississippi. More with you next. Now back to back to the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. So let's get rolling on Super Talk Mississippi.
We touched a nerve with you on uh, driving and reactions from other drivers. George followed up, said, if I don't get the bird at least from one person per day when driving, it was not a successful day of driving for me. George the aggressor. Yeah, that may be a you problem. Uh, Spence in Brookhaven. Borky, Mississippi passed a law where people can't just ride in the left lane on four-lane highways. And I got the bird this morning because I passed a guy in the right lane on I-55. Seriously, he was the one breaking the law, going 65 in the passing lane on an interstate. There was someone a while back that wanted to do a podcast on how the general public just really bothers them, and that's up there on the list for me. This is Anthony. Got the middle finger and cussed out by a guy that pulled out in front of me. I had to leave the road to keep from hitting him. Then we both pull into a store. Then he tries to apologize because he says he didn't see me. Here's one. By the way, these are all on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. I drive tractors for a living. Get the bird regularly. I just make them stay behind me longer. Uh, Thomas in Greenwood. Maybe I'm a jerk, but if someone honked at me when the light changed, I'd have to sit there till it cycled through and turned green again. Never miss a chance to antagonize someone who thinks their time is that valuable. Uh, okay, Thomas. I mean, I, I hear where you're coming from unless you didn't see it turn green because you were doing something on your phone. Like if you just weren't paying attention because you were scrolling through pictures on Instagram. I, I, I always, I'm never quite sure what the, the length of time is that you sit behind someone after a light changes before you give it a honk. And I'm not, it's never like a lay on the horn. It's like a tap. Just like, hey, heads up, let's roll. So what would you say, 10 seconds? Because if you think about it, 10 seconds is a long time. Yeah, I'm thinking like five to seven. And then you give just kind of a little friendly beep. Yeah, nothing crazy. Just a bump, bump. I, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. This is Lyle, the blacksmith. I spray my windshield fluid and turn the wipers on high pretty regularly when people ride my bumper. I get the <laughs> finger for that, usually. Uh, man, this is great. Chris in Grenada says Thomas is bipolar. Okay. Train horns make people react really fast to a truck coming when they want to cut in front of me. guess you've got a train horn. Uh, Thomas says, no, he's uh, talking about the one that honks within half a second. Okay. Uh, Daniel says, it sounds like some of these drivers need Jesus. <laughs> well, we also and, need that, uh, but, you know. We'll, we'll move on after this. We'll let Tim and Corinth have the last word. Don't try to push me by riding my bumper, Mr. Big Rig. I will slow your truck down to a crawl going uphill, throw my camera in your direction, and if you continue, call the Smoky Bears and then your boss. I said last one, one more. Darren and Jackson cost me $172.50 for riding in the left lane on I-55 a couple of months ago. Hooey. That would make me so mad. I, I know it's the law and you're not supposed to break the law and whatever, but God, get that would make me lane. so mad. Get out of the left lane if you aren't passing. Get out. Uh... Jacob in Columbus, I drive a delivery truck from her living, so believe me when I say people don't respect the fact that trucks don't stop on a dime. And uh, Mike in Grand Bay, Alabama. Thanks for listening in Grand Bay, Mike. Left lane law does not allow or accept excessive speed, so if you're doing the max speed limit for the conditions, you're good. Okay. Um, fair enough. 
That's a fun way to start the show. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. Um, you can tweet the show at Sports Talk M I S S. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about the fact that uh, Tommy Stevens spoke with the media, uh, as opposed to let's uh, just trying. Uh, uh, Excuse me. As opposed to us trying to sum up what he said, let's let you hear from the presumptive starter for Mississippi State, Tommy Stevens, on his transition to Starkville to this team and this offense. I think just you know some of my experiences in this offense, and you know, kind of back to your question of you know knowing the system, and um, you know, really this being my fourth year in this offense, which you know really. I guess you know makes me the most experienced person here in this offense. It really, really helps me, um, you know, be a be a coach at some point, and you know, just be able to help those guys learn and um, you know give give them examples of some of the things we did at Penn State, and um, you know, there's things like that anyway that I can help. Um, and I think that you know the guys kind of see that, and especially Zub, who's you know learning the offense for the first time. You know, hey, Dad, in, in some ways that makes all the sense in the world. And then on the other hand, you go, okay, yes, experience is good, but the bottom line is, can you play? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that that's the truth, and and that's sort of what I was talking about yesterday with the confidence that he has. I mean, when he sits there and says, "Well, I guess I'm the most experienced guy," you know, I, what he's trying to say there to me anyway is, you know, I'm the guy for the job. So you're right; it's it's all going to come down to results. But I, I, I certainly don't think, especially when you look at last season. And, and the struggles Fitzgerald had, that having experience and familiarity and what Joe Moorhead wants from his offense is going to be a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, you do have the dynamic of a quarterback coming in and a quarterback who has been in the system or been in the program for multiple years between Tommy Stevens and Keaton Thompson. Here's what Tommy Stevens said about that relationship and how the two of them are trying to help each other. Yeah, no, I think that it's important um, to have that sort of dynamic. And I, I, I re- can relate it a lot to um, you know when me and Trace McSorley were, were battling for the uh, for the job at Penn State and um, the you know relationship that we were able to keep as you know things progressed after we won the job and um, you know I think that having that kind of um, I guess like dynamic or that kind of relationship with not only you know him but the other quarterbacks in the room that you know regardless obviously there's only going to be one starting quarterback but um, you know if all of us can work together and you know one way or another help uh, whichever guy is the starter that's that's the most important thing and so um, I know we were able to do that at Penn State and you know everything that I've been shown so far leads me to believe we'll do the same thing here. You know quarterback is in a lot of ways the most unique position on the field. I would argue it's the most important position on the field in football. You may disagree. Maybe you believe it's the center. Maybe you believe it's the left tackle. Maybe you believe it's a middle linebacker. But I think most people would agree that quarterback is the most important position on the field, especially with the way the game is officiated now. But the the, the dynamic that makes it different than any other position is that if you're an offensive lineman, if you're a second-team offensive lineman, you are going to play because guys need breaks and they work. You know, you work a rotation in. And if you're a backup left tackle or a backup right tackle or a backup guard, you're going to get in the game. Injuries are common, but but even more than just injuries. If you're a cornerback, you're going to get some snaps if you're the second team quarterback. If you're a second-team linebacker, they're going to run you in out there. If you're a second-team safety, maybe that's a spot where you don't have as much of a rotation, but if you're a second-team safety, 
when they go to a nickel package, there's a good chance that you're going to be playing some. Wide receivers have a rotation. Running backs have a rotation. Quarterback really is the only position in football where the only time a rotation occurs is if somebody gets hurt or if the score gets out of hand one way or the other. And so it does make for a unique dynamic. Yeah, I've always been a fan of the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I really do believe that. Even Thanks, when Lou you Holtz. have, yeah, I know, but I mean, even you go back like state a few years back when they had Tyler Russell and Dak Prescott, two quarterbacks with you know pretty different skill sets. I, I just never you never felt comfortable because you you want one guy to be the established leader of the football team because I agree with you, it's the most important position on the field, and you got to have that one guy that everybody can sort of you know work around. You know, I can only think just immediately, and this is like quick thinking, of two scenarios where multiple quarterbacks has worked well. Florida won a national championship with Chris Leak as its starting quarterback and a very defined role for Tim Tebow. They had a legitimate second quarterback that went on to win a Heisman Trophy and become one of the greatest college football players of all time in Tim Tebow, but he didn't start that year. Chris Leak, what, became the all-time passing leader in Florida history. Right. And then the other time, interestingly enough, also at Florida, when you just knew if you were playing quarterback for for Steve Spurrier, he was going to yank you. I mean, until until Danny Werfel really established that position, they were bouncing back all over the place with Danny Werfel and uh, Terry Dean. uh, Terry Dean. That's who it was. And then later down the line, uh, you had Jesse Palmer and Doug Johnson who were kind of getting yanked in and out of games at, at times. I just can't think of a ton of other places where the multiple quarterback dynamic has been all that successful. Yeah, there's a reason for I'm, that. There's a reason for that, yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody else I'm missing that just immediately pops to mind? No. Nah. Didn't LSU have the two-quarterback thing in 07? With, was that with Jordan Jefferson and Jared Lee? I keep thinking Matt Flynn, but that's not right, is Matt, it? No, Matt Flynn was the quarterback in 07. They won a national title. Okay. Trying to remember. But no, that was not a great situation when you had Jared Lee, who threw a bunch of pick sixes, and then Jordan Jefferson. But anyway, uh, we'll hear a little bit more from Tommy Stevens and hear some from Matt Luke when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. I had a buddy that sent me a text message about times when two quarterback systems have worked. Hey, Dad, can you remember one at Mississippi State that's worked? You mentioned uh, Tyler Russell, Dak Prescott, and that was, uh, you know, there was some success there, but by the time it was all said and done, you basically just had Mississippi State fans wanting Dak Prescott to play. Yeah. Uh, There's one. Uh, Okay. (laughs) uh, Wayne Mackin and Matt Wyatt were were relatively successful. I don't know if that's a – I don't call it a two-quarterback system. You know, that was more like Mackin was playing. When I hear system, I, I, I what I imagine is the game plan. The coaches are saying, this is where we want to put this guy in. This is where we want to put yeah. this guy in. This That was more like, ah, we're just not getting it done. Let's make a change. It was like so going to the bullpen with, with yeah. Matt kind of being the, the bullpen pitcher, if you will. Yeah. If you go back to 1992, Todd Jordan and Sleepy Robinson. Well, Sleepy got hurt that year and was uh, it, out. 
uh, after the okay. Florida game. So it's Todd Jordan and Greg Plump. And, and again, I don't know how okay. much of a – I think that was more because the offense was more of an option offense and Todd Jordan was not that. But Greg Plump no. wasn't a great passer either. So they, it was sort of – they were just limited in what they could do. Sleepy Robinson gave you everything. And when he got hurt, it was just downhill from there. Yeah, so uh, this has been mentioned on uh, on the text message, and this was what my buddy Chris sent me, um, Tommy Luke and Russ Shalls. And I was trying to remember how well that worked, because Tommy Luke had some injury issues. I think it was concussion issues primarily that he was dealing with. One of the toughest quarterbacks you would ever see. Obviously, Tommy Luke is the older brother of Matt Luke. But in 19, the 1990 season, that Ole Miss team went 9-2 and two in the regular season. Russ Shouse threw for 953 yards, six touchdowns, and six picks. Tom Luke threw for 853 yards with four touchdowns and six picks. Tommy Luke also had 519 yards rushing and four touchdowns on the ground. I just pulled up the team numbers. I'd forgotten just how good Randy Baldwin was that season for Ole Miss. He had uh, 970 yards rushing and 11 TDs and also caught a couple of touchdown passes. Ole Miss played that year in the Gator Bowl. They they played Tennessee in Memphis, and I think lost by nine. It was either nine or 11 that they lost. So they played that nine. game at the Liberty Bowl. It was a regular season game. And Ole Miss dominated Tennessee in that game everywhere except the scoreboard. Had they won that game, Ole Miss was going to the Sugar Bowl. They ended up losing it. They finished 9-2. and two and ultimately went to the Gator Bowl where they played Michigan. And hey, Dad, the joke forever about that game has been when Michigan's band made its way into the stadium, everybody looked around and said, "Uh uh-oh, Ole Miss is in trouble. They got tuba players that are bigger than Ole Miss's offensive line. (laughs) 35-3 was the final in that game. The one bright spot in that game for Ole Miss was Brian Lee, who hit a field goal, which was... Uh, an anomaly that season. Brian, good guy. But in the 1990 season, he went on to have a really good career at Ole Miss. He was 3 of 13 kicking field goals that year. Yeesh. That's tough. It's like a batting average for a pitcher. So, so, so really, outside of like one isolated game in 2004 where Ole Miss played three quarterbacks on the road against South Carolina in a win... And that was what Ethan Flat and Michael Spurlock and Robert Lane that all played in that game. Uh, you got to go all the way back to 1990 to find a successful two quarterback system at Ole Miss. And for Mississippi State, you go to the late 90s to uh, find the last time you really had a good two quarterback system. Makes you wonder about Michigan too, doesn't it? Whether or not Jim Harbaugh is telling the truth about yeah, Dylan not. McCaffrey. Shea you Patterson's don't think so? Going to be their quarterback. I mean, they're going to play McCaffrey, but Patterson's their quarterback. Then why would you play McCaffrey? Why would you even say that if if because he's really good and he doesn't want him to transfer? I oh, think oh seven LSU wasn't a two quarterback thing, but they had Paralu in for a lot of those like packages. And then Paralu ended up playing and starting in the SEC championship game and had a really good game that year against Tennessee. Was that because yeah. of injury or because Flynn sucked? I think no. I think that was because Flynn, of injury. Yeah, Flynn got know. knocked out of that game. I don't uh, think he started that game, Richard. I think I think he just played or played in that game. Okay, he played a bunch I, of that game though, didn't he? Because I think, I think Flynn, Flynn came back and played in the, in the national game. championship game, right? Because and Flynn played the whole the last game of the season was against Arkansas, and Flynn played that whole game. So I don't think he got hurt. I think he uh, okay. 
I'm sure if Quinn is listening, he'll let us know for sure in a few minutes. Yeah. You, you think he's listening, or you think he's still sitting back counting that $67 million that he got for being a backup for a year in Seattle? Oh, I'm talking, I'm talking about Quinn, not Flynn. I don't think Matt Flynn is listening. He could be. Oh. You never know. Okay. Fair enough. He's a, he's kind of a funny dude. Who? Flynn? Yeah. You spent some time with him? <laughs> yeah, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts like, over the last couple of years. We were playing some clips for you from Tommy Stevens yesterday in the, the media opportunity in Starkville. He talked about his familiarity with the uh, the coaching staff, specifically Joe Moorhead. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people that I've had relationships with in the past, you know, um, at Penn State that are that are here now. And, um, you know, that was, that was you know, pretty cool for me to see, I guess, you know, f- you know familiar faces. And um, I, I'd be lying if I said it didn't help make things a little bit easier for me. So, um, but, yeah, no, they're, they're, uh, they've all been great. And, you know, learning, uh, you know, meeting new people, too, is, is also really cool. Helps me, you know, expand in, in different ways. So, um, but, yeah, no, every, everything's been great. And, you know, all the coaches have been, uh, you know, very helpful for me. We heard a uh, a funny story from Archie Manning at SEC Media Days. Um, if you missed that, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. Archie Manning had invited Tommy Stevens to come and play in the Manning Passing Academy or participate in the Manning Cat Passing Academy as a counselor. It's what they use college quarterbacks from all over the country. And that was while he was still at Penn State. Well, Tommy Stevens reached out to Archie and said Mr. Manning, I know you've invited me, but I think I'm going to transfer. Can my uh, invitation still stand? He said, absolutely, Tommy. We invited you, and we want you to come. So he calls Archie back a couple of weeks later and says, uh, Mr. Manning, I'm transferring to Mississippi State. He said, well, we may have to talk about this whole uh, you coming to be part of the Manning Passing Academy thing. Uh, that was what Archie told us a couple of weeks ago. So, Tommy Stevens, how has this summer been going into 2019? Now, I think, um, you know, it, me knowing the offense obviously takes a little bit of that off of, uh, off of my shoulders, I guess. Not that I don't need to work at it. There's things that, you know, I don't know everything. There's you know, obviously things that I need to grow with. But having that side of things where I'm not kind of scrambling to learn everything definitely helps. And so, um, but, you know, an everyday thing, you know, I guess you could just come in and, you know, my classes are online, so I've been able to spend a lot of time in the building, uh, either watching film, working out, getting together with guys, things like that. And so, um, you know, it's just been, you know, it's been a very busy summer, I would say. Um, there haven't been a whole lot of opportunities for me, I guess, outside of the building that I've, that I've been doing. I mean, it's been pretty much uh, football-oriented, so. There you go. Obviously, he wasn't talking about the Banning Passing Academy. He was talking about it from a more serious uh, standpoint, but I did think that was an interesting story from the uh, the summer uh, that Archie shared with us. This is what I'm fascinated with. We talk about the transfer portal all the time. None of us have ever been in the transfer portal. So for a guy who has taken advantage of the rules in place right now and has used the transfer portal, Tommy Stevens tells us, a little bit about his thoughts on the transfer portal. You know, I think each situation's a little bit different. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much you guys know about my situation, uh, but there was an opportunity for me to leave um, the year prior um, of me leaving at Penn State, and I decided to stay. Um, but this was before the portal existed, obviously. And so, um, you know, I, I do think that, like I said, each scenario is different, and um, there's a lot of different, you know, moving pieces for everyone's. Uh, situation, so I think that it's definitely a good thing for the student athletes. 
Um, you know, I know there's some coaches across the country that aren't very fond of it. And, um, but at the same time, like, I think that giving the players a little bit more power and um, letting them, you know, judge where they want to go, I think it's, it can be a really bad thing for us. So. Hey, Dad, did he expound on that anymore? Or, or was there any kind of a follow-up to that with regard to the transfer portal? First off, whoever asked that question was probably very smart and very handsome. That's just all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Good I, I, question, I, hey Dad. <laughs> uh, he did not. He didn't. He didn't follow up on that. But I, when we finally get to, I talked to Isaiah Zuber. I'm going to probably ask him a similar question because I, I'm, I'm 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 intrigued by the transfer portal. I really think it might be like this. I think it's going to continue to grow. I think it's going to continue. To, I think coaches are going to start. When they look at recruiting, they're going to say, where are we weak in recruiting? Can we just go get a transfer? Because they're just going to be more readily available. So I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I might, I might, might follow up with, with Zuber when we get to talk to him. It's an interesting perspective coming from a player. And you heard Tommy Stevens say, you know, everybody's situation is different. Everybody's situation is unique. And he's right about that. Hey, Dad, that's fascinating to me that you say you think it's going to continue to grow. I don't disagree with you, but the thing that I think is a little bit of a concern is you had so many people that were in the transfer portal, you didn't have enough spots for everybody this year. True. So we'll see where that goes. Um, When we come back, we'll hear from Matt Luke, what he thinks about the offensive line, uh, plan for tight ends, and more. That's when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Back with you, quick first hour on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday, 6th of August, 25 days away until kickoff. We'll hit team number 25 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. That means we are three-quarters of the way through the countdown that began back at the SEC baseball tournament. It is getting close. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you're a farmer, plenty of ways that they can help you, including with equipment financing, uh, loans to buy new property, refinancing an existing loan, or maybe it's the production loan that you need to get you through each and every year as a farmer. Not a farmer? Well, don't, don't tune us out because maybe if you're in the market for land, Mississippi Land Bank can help you with that purchase. If you're building a house in the country, they can help there as well. Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. MSLandBank.com. We played you some of what Tommy Stevens had to say yesterday. Matt Luke met with the media after Ole Miss finished up its Monday practice yesterday as well. And he talked a little bit about his offensive line, which for a lot of people is the biggest question mark on this team going into the year. Good. I mean, they, they, they realize uh, you know all the talk that's out there, so they just got to go uh, prepare with a sense of urgency and a chip on their shoulder. Some of the young guys got to get ready a little bit quicker, and then some of the older guys have to step up. You know, Mike Howard, I think, has really stepped up there. The added weight has really helped him. Been very pleased with Royce. You know, Eli's been fighting in there at center. You know, Bryce is playing some center, some tackle. Royce is playing some guard, some tackle. So we're just looking at a bunch of different lineups. You know, Cunningham just showed some flashes. Uh, so, uh, you know, Broker and um, Jeremy James, two of the freshmen, been in there with the twos, and they've been competing, you know, making some freshman mistakes. But, uh, you know, I think they're working, and they understand the sense of urgency. 
Um, one thing I thought was interesting yesterday in Ole Miss's practice is that Matt Luke spent more time with the offensive line yesterday than maybe he did at any point a season ago. I mean, I wasn't at every practice throughout the season a year ago, but there was an experienced group there, and he had a, a, an offensive line coach in Jack Picknell who's had plenty of experience working with offensive linemen through the years, and he kind of let that group do their thing. He spent a lot of time, and maybe the emphasis is there because he know that's is he knows that's a position group of need for Ole Miss, and they've got so many freshmen that are going to have to play, Rippy. Yeah, I don't think there's any maybe about it. I think that's exactly why he spent that amount of time there, and that's the overarching concern for this team, at least from an offensive standpoint going into the season. I mean, you have two true freshmen that did not go through spring practice running with the second-team tackles. Not a lot of depth there. Your best and most experienced offensive lineman who also plays tackle, right tackle, is questionable, it sounds like. I don't want to say questionable. He'll be out for camp, obviously. They hope he's back for the first game, but it doesn't sound like that's a sure thing. So, Talking about Alex Gibbons. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why they're using a decent bit of two tight end personnel, or at least they've shown in the very limited amount we've seen early on, um, as a little bit of a crutch, I'd imagine, in helping them run the ball. Do they have the depth there? I'm not really sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely the biggest concern Ole Miss has heading into the season. One of the things that every coach in America is balancing right now is how to be physical in practice but keep everybody healthy. Here's what Matt Luke said about physicality in fall camp. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's a little bit more of an emphasis on it, uh, you know, for sure. To definitely uh, for the defense, getting some some 12 and 22 looks early, you know, with tight end on the ball and fullback looks, uh, starting that right from the very beginning, and then obviously Rich's mentality on offense. So I think that's a good combination. So I think that leads to a little bit more physicality for sure. We talked yesterday about Ole Miss using tight ends. They have you know, in the limited amount of time we've seen in practice, had kind of an emphasis on tight ends getting the football. What's the plan for the tight end position this year for Matt Luke and Ole Miss? Well, we have two seniors there with Pellerin and Cooley that we think can both help us. So I think they're both athletes. They both, you know, Cooley's physical. Jason can be a mismatch. So I think you've got two veteran guys that uh, I think that'll be a good changeup and we'll also be able to run the football out of those sets. So I think it'll be a good, uh, good changeup for us. Rippy, do you think Pellerin can catch the ball? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I'm not sure his hands are I, – I don't know if his hands will be good enough or consistent enough to be kind of an impact tight end, but I guess that remains to be seen. Um, I mean, former quarterback, you'd think they'd be okay. Yeah, you would think. A lot of different faces this year at wide receiver. A lot of those players are young. Here's Matt Luke's thought on the wide receivers this year. Well, all of them. <laughs> I really like our freshman class. I think we've got a lot of talent in there. Um for all for different reasons, you know, Mingo with his combination of size and, and, and power and speed, and then Dennis is really, really fast. I, I really like seeing that. Uh, you know, Jarrett again showed his moments. Jaden Jackson can take the top off the cover. So they've all shown flashes. Demarcus Gregory's looked much better. He looks like he's lost some weight. He looks quicker out there. And then obviously uh, Elijah's Elijah. He's kind of picked up where he left off. So that was Matt Luke talking about the wide receivers yesterday. Some of his thoughts after, I guess, practice number three. Uh, they will have uh, practice again tomorrow morning at 1045. That is open to the media. And uh, we'll have some thoughts for you after that tomorrow. More coming up with you, hour number two, next in the Renaissance Bank studio. It all ends with beginnings.
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Branch locations scattered across North Mississippi, which means there's a Mississippi Land Bank location close to you that can help you with financing and refinancing land and all the stuff that's related to the land, like maintaining it or buying things that you need for it or improvements to the land. Corporate office in Senatobia, branch locations in Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. At Mississippi Land Bank, they know the lay of the land. Good to be with you this afternoon. You can text the show on the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Borky, you want to keep counting them down? This this should be right, right in the wheelhouse for Brian Haydad today as we continue the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go! It's the final countdown! For team number 25 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days, we go to the Big Ten. We take you to Iowa City where they wave at the kids, the Iowa Hawkeyes. went 9-4 and four last year. Kirk Ferentz entering his 21st year as the head coach of the Iowa Hawkeyes. 21st year overall that he has been a head football coach. That's the only stop that he's had as a head coach at the Division I level. 9-4 and four last season, including a win over Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl, 27-22. The losses last year for Iowa uh, on 11 point deficit to Wisconsin in week four, and then they had a stretch uh, late in the season where they lost three in a row at Penn State by six, 30-24, at Purdue by two, 38-36, and then a four-point loss at home to Northwestern before finishing out the year with wins over Illinois and Nebraska, and then the bowl trip to the Outback Bowl. So it was a little tongue-in-cheek, hey, Dad, but you did see Iowa in the last game that they played and it feels like Iowa's about the same every year. They won nine last year. They won eight the year before that, eight the year before that. Every now and then they'll pop up with a big season like they did in 2015 where they went 12-2 and and lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten title game. Yeah, we, we always talk about Mississippi State and Ole Miss and what should the, the expectation standard be. Iowa, Iowa is a good example. Yeah, if you're mm-hmm. a consistent eight, nine win team and then you have that one year where you pop up and then you might you might have one year where they, they might have a six and six year in there somewhere but that's a good standard for, for both programs to look to uh all of the people that ran the football a year ago for iowa are back led by uh, Mike Sargent and torin young the top two rushers nathan stanley or nate stanley if you prefer is back at quarterback he threw for 2800 yards 26 tds 10 picks a year ago uh, they've also got their backup quarterback back, but they lost their top three receivers. Uh, and so, again, not to kind of beat a dead horse here, but it feels like a typical Iowa team where they got a bunch of guys coming back 
Uh, they did lose a lot on the defensive side of the ball. Seven defensive starters from a year ago are gone. And I was looking at Phil Steele. He picked them second in the Big Ten West behind Nebraska. Do you guys look at that and go, okay, those are the two teams in the Big Ten West to worry about, or are we, as we typically do, maybe selling Wisconsin short by not having them right there at the top of that Western division of the Big Ten? Probably selling Wisconsin short, but for some reason, what you said a few weeks ago about Nebraska has got me thinking, and now I'm on your side, and I think people are really sleeping on what Nebraska might be able to do. Uh, yeah. You know, on my Nebraska thing, I, I still kind of stand by what I said, but it worries me a little bit that a lot of people have kind of jumped on the Nebraska train. Hey, at least you can like, claim uh, you were first, though. Yeah, I hadn't heard it really from anybody when I said that. But You were the know. first person that you know of. That I know of. I'm sure there were some people in Big Ten country that had studied Nebraska prior to. Um, Iowa schedule? Well, this is sexy early, isn't it? Miami of Ohio in week one and then Rutgers in week two. Oof. Woohoo! Rutgers got a new locker room. What <laughs> good for them? They get any new players? <laughs> <laughs> no, I still think they're lacking in that department, but you can also swim in their student section. They have little, like, portable pools if you ever want to go to a Rutgers game. There you go. Sure, that's sanitary. Sure, it's wonderful. Rivalry game in week three against Iowa State. I always thought it was weird that they weren't in the same conference. How quickly yeah. would it take for someone to pollute a pool in the student <laughs> section at an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State game? Not long. Well well before kickoff. It would, I agree. It would not make it to kickoff. Might have like some kind of spalding scene in there. Um. <laughs> Open date after the game against Iowa State. Then they go Middle Tennessee. Road game at Michigan. That's a big one on October 5th. Penn State and Purdue. They go to Northwestern on October 26th. With another open date. Close it out on the road against Wisconsin. Minnesota and Illinois at home. And then Friday, November 29th at Nebraska. That is team number 25 on the countdown. The Iowa Hawkeyes. Who are their famous alums, Mr. Haydad? I'm going to go with Tom Brokaw, George Gallup, inventor of the the Gallup poll. And then I'm sort of torn, but I think we'll go with Gene Wilder. But I want to give a shout-out to W.P. Kinsella, writer of Shoeless Joe, which became the greatest baseball movie of all time, Field of Dreams. Hmm. The Gallup poll guy, you're putting him there. I'm putting him there. there Over Ashton Kutcher, you put the Gallup poll guy in there? Yeah, I'm going to put him there, for sure. Ashton Kutcher dropped out. That's why I looked at it. Still went be, there, though, gotta, I guess. Got to have Stop, a degree, switch it, opinion. turn it around. Gene there Wilder. How do you? How How is Gene Wilder kind of like a soft sell for you there? I love Gene Wilder, but, I mean... You lose! Good day, sir! Hey, I, I have a question, by the way, about this. No Tennessee this, Williams on your list. Uh, I looked at his wiki, and it doesn't mention the University of Iowa, so I don't know what's going on there. It says he went to Missouri. He went to Iowa claims him. I guess. I don't know. Real quick, yesterday the team was Texas. This, Hold on. This, Hold on. They on have, wait, Did you know that Tennessee though. Williams died as a result of choking? 
I didn't know that until I saw his wiki. So, yeah, it's like, okay. Gracious. Born in Columbus, Mississippi, Tennessee Williams. I knew that. Which is, I always wonder why he's not Mississippi Williams, but whatever. Why was Texas 26th? It's the ESPN FPI, at least at the 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 time we started it. Okay, okay. I was just like, it it occurred to me like hours later that we we did that and and Texas was 26th. It's like Texas is like a preseason top 15 team everywhere I've looked, but yeah, whatever. that's that's the only place where I can find 100 teams ranked in any order uh, in sense. May. <laughs> that makes sense. Though. You know, Borky, next year let, let's go with the uh, the BPI instead of the FPI. That's fine with me. The Borky Power Index. I yeah. like it. I take things too seriously. I would sit down for like two hours putting yeah. that together. <laughs> two hours, you would be months. You'd be you would start on it in February. You'd be like Bill Connolly. What are the other options? We could use like Sagarin ratings. I thought we just went. I thought it was coming out of Phil Still that he just had all the teams sort of ranked there. No, no that we, doesn't we, come out in time. Okay. RPI quad one wins. Um, is there a team <laughs> that got luckier with the whole Big Ten realignment than Wisconsin? Like these divisions are just they They're completely awful. nonsensical. You're talking about for the Big Ten? Yeah. So the Big Ten is pretty unbalanced. When you when you look sense. at the Big Ten East, you got Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, then Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers. Hey, Rutgers is your gimme. And then in the West, it's Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern, Purdue, and Illinois. What what would you do differently? Throw a Michigan State or a Penn State in the West, and trade them for who? Uh, I don't know. Take your pick of Illinois, Nebraska. Northwestern? I think they wanted to guarantee that their marquee teams would play against each other every single year, and the only way to do that is if you put them in the same division. But don't they do a nine-game conference schedule? You could have permitted uh, cross-division opponents that probably make it work out. You could. I think. I just don't understand this at all. Although the permanent cross-division pon- opponent thing is a little frustrating for some as well. It Again, is made for a lot of, of terrible conference championship games in the brief time they've had it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. That's your college, uh, well, I'm sorry, the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. When we come back, we will chat on the Farm Bureau phone line with David Brandt and the Associated Press. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, David Brandt from the Associated Press. David, I've never asked you this. I mean, you, you cover sports for a living. You have for a really long time. How big of a college football fan are you? You know, that's a, that's a good question. Growing up, I really wasn't that big because I lived in Missouri, and Missouri was terrible. Like, their their claim to fame was the the uh, you know getting beat by Nebraska every year in some sort of heartbreaking fashion um, you know but as you know I came to the south and my first job was in Tennessee for three years and then I came down to Mississippi and have been here for about 13 years now I, I've learned really to love it and I really I prefer it to the NFL game you know just as far as watching it and everything and so it, it's it's grown on me over the years but I, I did not start as a huge college football fan but I am now well, and I guess the reason that I was asked or was asking that, I, I'm curious if 
when this is your job, like it is for, for all of us, you get pretty excited this time of year when camp starts, practices start, everybody's still healthy, and, you know, the season's really close. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel really fortunate in that I've never, you know, really lost my love of doing this. It's a lot of fun, and this is the time of year where it really gets started. You really get kind of you, – you get into the meat of the rosters and, and really see these teams take shape. And then, of course, here in about three weeks or so, the games start, and then it gets really fun for about three or four months. It's, it's why we all do this. So, um, yeah, this is, this, is, this is what we do it for. This is the fun part. So I know you've been to Oxford, you've been to Starkville as well. There's not that much to report on. You, you do the best that you can with the limited amount of time you're able to watch practice. Is there anything that you have seen or heard so far that has kind of stood out for you? Hmm, that's a, that's a good – you know, obviously the other day was interesting with both quarterbacks talking at Mississippi State. I, I just think that's a, a fascinating dynamic with, with Thompson and Stevens and, and what happens there. And you know, there's just a lot of pressure at Mississippi State on the team, on Joe Moorhead, on kind of everything for that offense to be what was promised when Joe Moorhead was hired. Um, you know, it's kind of incredible. I mean, I, I know that obviously the roster is what it is when you come in, but but certainly, you know, Joe Moorhead was brought in for his offense, and instead last year State had like the best defense in the country just about, but had one of the worst offenses, especially the passing game, uh, in the SEC, and now, you know, I, I think people understand that you don't necessarily w- rework a roster um, in six months or even a year. But I think people really want to see a step forward. And obviously, Tommy Stevens was was not brought in to sit the bench. They're going to give him a real chance to win that job. And I, I'm just fascinated over the next couple weeks to see what happens. Yeah, I was. I said earlier, presumptive starter Tommy Stevens. Obviously, nobody out of Mississippi State is is saying that. But I think I'll be at the top of the list of just being absolutely shocked if he's not the starter. Is that kind of where you find yourself as well? I, I just think if he's not the starter, that something has gone wrong. You understand what I'm saying? I, I think Joe Moore had brought him in with the idea that he would have a really good chance at starting. And if he's not, it would be a big disappointment. Now, Joe Moorhead might not say that. He may say that Keaton just played better. But I think at this point, we pretty much know what Keaton can do. He's not bad. Um, you know, we, we've seen him play in some big games against the Alcorn States of the world, too. We, we know he can throw it a little bit. He can run it a little bit. But kind of like Nick Fitzgerald, he's inconsistent. A career passing percentage under 50%. Joe Moorhead is on record that he would like that in the 60s from anyone he coaches. And it's just, I, I know it's a fairly small sample size, but it, it's tough to see Keaton really being able to be accurate enough to be the kind of passer that Joe Moorhead wants. So I, I think Tommy Stevens was really brought in to win the job. And if he doesn't, I, I guess it could mean that Keaton just got that much better. But I think more of it means is that, you know, Tommy Stevens just didn't adapt as, as well as they had hoped. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. David Brandt from the Associated Press visiting with us as we've looked at schedules, and I feel like we've been doing that for months now. You look at Ole Miss, and the first two weeks of the season are as big as I can remember in a long time. Uh, not that it's because you've got massive top 25 opponents, 
But if Ole Miss is going to have a path to six wins, to a bowl game, to feeling good about the program, to carrying some momentum forward, it just feels like they've got to get off to a good start. And while both of those first two games are winnable, they're also both games that are very losable. Oh, no question. I mean, I, I it, it is very interesting how, with, with any schedule in, in college football, Everybody looks at a schedule before, you know, in June, July, and early August, and you say, well, these are wins and these are losses and these are the toss-ups. I mean, two of the biggest toss-ups, with maybe the exception of, like, Vanderbilt, you know, you could throw Cal in there, but Memphis and Arkansas are two of those toss-ups. There's no question. And, and I think it matters not just from a sense of wins and losses, which is huge, but also if for some reason they go 0-2, can you imagine how small that crowd's going to be for Southeast Louisiana the next week and even for yeah. Cal? the week after that. I mean, it's just going to, it's already a fan base in football, at least that has been beaten down a little bit and, and is a little bit in wait and see mode. Um, You know, we've heard grumblings that that season tickets aren't quite what they have been in years past, you know, just different things like that. I think a lot of people want to see some reason to be excited about this team. And if they lose both games, if they go one and one, I think there will be a little bit of cautious optimism. But I think if they go zero and two, you're really going to see some problems. And on the flip side, if they go two and zero, I think people will be really excited. You'll see a lot of people at those next two games. So I, yeah. you know, you don't want to put too much on just two weeks in a season. But there's a lot riding on these two weeks. I, I even think if Ole Miss is able to get a win in week one against Memphis, we were talking some about this yesterday, Arkansas is going to beat Portland State to start the year. And because it's a 6.30 kickoff, first home SEC game, and the proximity that Oxford is to a lot of the state of Arkansas, you got a chance for a packed house and a great atmosphere in week two if Ole Miss can manage to get a win against Memphis in week one. I agree, because it's huge for Arkansas, too. You know, Arkansas yes. obviously did not win a – SEC game last year, they're in the same boat as Ole Miss and that, you know, they don't necessarily need to go to the Sugar Bowl this year, but they want to show some progress, some reason to feel excited. And there is no question that both these programs have that game circled as one that they almost absolutely have to win to kind of get the wagon rolling because whoever loses that game is going to be crushed. And you're right, as long as both teams win their opener, which definitely Arkansas should. Uh, you know, I think Ole Miss has got a, a good chance, but you're right. That's definitely a losable game. If both those teams are one and zero, I think that's a great atmosphere on, on September seventh. When you look at Mississippi State's schedule, David, do you feel like it's one that that's pretty manageable? Uh, yesterday, somebody said about Mississippi State. I think it was one of those anonymous coaches deal uh, that that they've got a high floor or a. a, a Maybe it was high floor and low ceiling or, or something along those lines. But this feels like a year where maybe the floor and the ceiling really aren't that far apart. Like the schedule doesn't lend itself to this being a train wreck, but I don't know if it lends itself to being a great year, like in terms of nine or ten wins either. Does that make sense at all? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. Just because I, I think that, you know, a lot of times. You know, you, you look at the schedule and say, well, we've got Alabama at home, we got LSU at home, we've got Ole Miss at home. You know, I mean, that Alabama or LSU game, especially Alabama, you're probably going to lose that game if it's played on Mars, if it's played in Starkville, if it's played in Tuscaloosa, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. So you're almost wasting a home game at that point. You'd rather have somebody like 
Texas A&M at home or Auburn at home because that just feels more winnable. So I, I agree with you that you know it's hard to see them not getting six wins, but it's hard to see them getting nine wins in the regular season too. So I, I think the one good thing about their schedule is they've got a chance especially with a new starting quarterback, whether it's Keaton or, or Tommy Stevens, you've got a chance to build some momentum. You kind of ease into the schedule gradually. You've got Louisiana, you've got Southern Miss, you've got Kansas State, you've got Kentucky. I'm not saying any of those teams are pushovers, but, but certainly those are games that if you play well, you feel like you can win. And so if for some reason they, they get through all those games or 4-0, then they head to Auburn with a lot of confidence and you see what happens. So I, I think there is the opportunity to build some momentum going into October. David, always uh, appreciate your time. Always good to visit with you and look forward to chatting with you soon. Absolutely, Richard. Take care. It's coming quick. It certainly is. August 31st, just 25 days away until that first full Saturday of the college football season. And if you want to talk about week zero, we're talking about 18 days. David Brandt from the Associated Press with you on the Farm Bureau phone line. Go to the website, favorites.com. I've been telling about you, uh, telling you about it for a long time. If you go there, type in your zip code, it'll pop up and give you the opportunity to, to get a quote on auto insurance or home insurance, or you can bundle your coverage and save. You're dealing with people that you know in your community. Every county in the state of Mississippi has a Farm Bureau office. Check them out online at favorites.com and go with the home team. ESPN's Josiah Anderson yesterday reporting, actually earlier today reporting, that reps for Ezekiel Elliott have told the Cowboys that he will not play this year without a new contract. Source added that at this time it is not likely that Elliott's holdout continues into the regular season based on the belief that Cowboys owner Jerry Jones wants to get a new deal done with the running back before week one. This is not new news, though at least according to this story, because Zeke Elliott told the Cowboys all the way back in January that he was not going to play this season without a new deal. It's just out there now. Uh, Rocky Arsenault is Zeke Elliott's agent. Eric Dickerson, who was on Undisputed on FS1, said that he spoke with Rocky Arsenault. And Arsenault said it was possible that Elliott would miss part of the regular season. They didn't want that to happen. Why is this situation different than Le'Veon Bell with Pittsburgh last year? Two years left on his deal, uh, probably, but this this gives Dallas a perfect window to call his bluff. You say you're not going to play? And the other report today was, and this is really good PR. I think Cowherd's uh, the one that said it today, and it's a really good point. It's good public relations. The Cowboys have one side of their story come out, and they say, yeah, a very generous offer and stuff like that. They used very soft and positive words. And the other side is, uh, yeah, until we get a new deal, we're not playing. Sorry. And so the, the favorability for the Cowboys side is only going to go up because uh, they're talking offering him top five running back money. And if he says no to that, call his bluff. If he don't want to play, that's fine. He still has another year after this one on his deal. So let him sit out this season. Doesn't make any difference to you. Tony Pollard, the guy from Memphis, what was it, Henderson's backup at Memphis? Mm-hmm. Apparently he's just killing it in camp right now in Dallas. And so they've got a guy that 
is productive and the headache's gone and call his bluff. If he shows up, then you win. But if not, that's on him. That's a him problem. This is a perfect opportunity for them to show that he has no leverage because he's got two years left on his deal. Um, hey, Dad, according to Todd Archer at ESPN, a source told him that the Cowboys are insisting that they've made solid offers to all three players, Prescott, Elliott, and Amari Cooper, that would put them in at least the top five contracts at their positions, and the Cowboys have been fu- frustrated at the lack of engagement in negotiations. Now, we're dealing with Zeke Elliott in a very public manner. Dak Prescott has said all the right things, and he's in camp. Amari Cooper hasn't said much of anything. He's in camp, so those two guys aren't holding out. Why the difference in the way they're approaching it and the way Zeke Elliott's approaching it? That's a good question, and that's that's what's sort of hurting Zeke Elliott right now is that Dak and Amari, they both want new deals, but they're in camp. And so everybody's it, – it, the Cowboys, like, like Borky just said, they are completely dominating the public relations war on this one. And I, I'm a guy that, like, I normally side with the players. You know, get your money, get your contracts. You only have that limited window. But mm-hmm. with Dak and Cooper in camp, it, it really is difficult to defend Zeke. Uh, Stephen Jones did an interview with 105.3 The Fan in Dallas and said that he does not believe that there is enough momentum to finalize deals with Prescott, Cooper, or Elliott while the Cowboys are out in California. Oxnard, California is where they do training camp. They will break camp in Oxnard on August 15th. That's nine days from now. And then go to Hawaii for their preseason game on August 17th against the Los Angeles Rams. His quote, as Borky alluded to a second ago, we've been generous on our offer, close quote. That was with regard to the Ezekiel Elliott contract. And Stephen Jones apparently mentioned the Le'Veon Bell de- deal, which averages $13.5 million. Todd Gurley is making $14.375 million, so about almost $900,000 difference in those two deals. I mean... Other than being able to say I'm the highest paid guy in the league, if the Cowboys are willing you willing to pay you thirteen, thirteen and a half million at the running back position, and let's say it's a four year deal, so four years at thirteen million would be fifty two million, and what guarantee thirty five, forty million of it? I mean, are you really going to get that much better of a deal? Let him find out. Let him go somewhere else. If you just pull up the the highest-paid running backs in the NFL, with the exception of number one, who's injury-prone, and Todd Gurley, the next eight guys all play for teams that don't make the playoffs, that didn't make the playoffs. Bad football teams. So let somebody else make that mistake like eight of the top nine in the NFL have done. And being among the highest-paid running backs in the NFL is good for you, but... It's bad for your team. So now, let, let him now, do that. Now, with that said, though, Borky, healthy Todd Gurley is a significant difference maker. He is, but they still went to the Super Bowl without him. They beat the Saints in New Orleans. Bad call and all, I know. But they beat the Saints in New Orleans in the NFC Championship without him. Yeah, but they had him to get him to that point. Healthy Zeke Elliott's a difference maker for Dallas. Absolutely. But how long is he healthy? How much do you have to pay him? 
And is he going to continue giving you bad press and headaches and off-the-field stuff? And How long do you put up with this? Especially when apparently Tony Pollard's just been awesome. Dallas is killing the PR war. Story from the USA Today this morning about how great their fourth-round running back is. They'll pay him 500 k this year. Hmm. And, and they haven't missed a beat in camp because Tony Pollard's been so good for them. They're killing it right now. Where does um where does Jerry Jones' ego fit into this? It's more it's important somewhere. for Dak than it is for Zeke, though. He, he wants the quarterback more so than he wants the running back. In my hey, opinion. Dad, what were you saying? I said it fits in there somewhere. He, Jerry Jones, you know, I don't know quite how to put it, but he 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 will he will at some point enforce his will into this this uh, discussion. Ethan in Guntown with a question on the ceasefire text line: Do y'all agree with the sitting out until a new contract? You know, Ethan, I do. The, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in theory, I like the idea of we agreed to a contract. I said yes. You said yes. Um, and so as long as you continue to pay me the way you're supposed to, like as my, long as my check comes in when it's – then I feel like I'm kind of bound to the deal that I signed. But that's just not really the way the NFL or professional sports period works. And you got to remember that, that – If you can contract... get both sides willing to redo a contract, then that's fine. Okay, tear it up. But for me to say – yeah, I'm not working under the terms of the contract that I signed. Sorry, hey, Dad, go ahead. Well, the other, the other side of that is, though, that the contract doesn't always work for the team, and they can just release you sometimes, and sometimes they don't even owe you any money at the end of it. So, you know, that, that, that's no a good point. The, the players have – they don't have a whole ton of leverage. They have to use what they have. And sometimes you, you, you really do – you know, Dak Prescott could would be justified in holding out. He's outplayed the contract that he has. He's on a fourth-round draft pick contract, but he's playing at a much higher level than that. So he would be justified in holding out, to me anyway. I think it's different. I mean, and every situation, of course, is different. But with two years left on the deal, I think that changes things for me some. I do agree with that. Because you've got leverage. Right now he doesn't have any leverage. Or he shouldn't, anyway. The only leverage he has is if uh, he lets this go into the season and they lose games early. Yeah. Um. Here's a text. Hey, Jerry, I make thirty-five k a year working 40 to 50 hours a week. Want to save some money? I'll run the ball for a million a year for you. Yeah. Sure he does. This is also why most teams and agents don't want this stuff playing out publicly becomes very messy. There is some kind of But if you're a high-profile running back and you hold out, there's no way for it not to play out publicly. Well, that's why you need to squash it before there's a holdout and be negotiating behind the scenes 18 months-ish in advance, which there's probably not that much room to do because this dude's doing this with two years left on his deal. Or don't go to Mexico and don't be unaccessible. I mean, a bit of a Homer opinion here, but... Mike Thomas's agent in the Saints, were, they spoke every single day. So even though there was a holdout, every day there was a new report. Mike Thomas's agent and Mickey Loomis had a conversation today. They're getting closer. So the whole time he was holding out, there was never a negative. Right now, Ezekiel Elliott's in a different country, and his agent will not talk to the Cowboys right now. 
So his agent won't engage? Based on the the conversation today, then that sounds to me like Ezekiel Elliott and his agent like the spectacle of it, and they like being in the news every day. They probably drew a line and said, give us number one money or else you're not... Don't call me unless you're giving me number one money. It's got to be it. It's an aggressive negotiating tactic. Maybe it works out. I mean, look, if, if Ezekiel Elliott ends up getting the contract that he wants, then it's kind of hard to argue against the idea of holding out. But Haydad's point earlier is a good one in that an NFL team can cut you at any point. The only thing you're guaranteed is the guaranteed money in your contract. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Question on the uh, Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk MISS. Has Dak been offered top five quarterback money? Can't believe he wouldn't jump all over that. Yeah, the story didn't specify that. Uh, it was talking about significant money for Le'Veon Bell. At least that's what Stephen Jones said to the radio station in Dallas. What was it 105.3, the fan or the zone or the something? But if Dak Prescott was offered top five money, that would put him ahead of both Tom Brady and Drew Brees, who are both making $23 million this year. That's more remarkable than the other thing, especially because, I mean, here soon, in a couple years, Jared Goff will be coming off of his rookie deal, and he would presumably get more. Patrick Mahomes is going to get the dumbest contract in football history. Not... I say dumb. He's going to deserve it, but it's going to be unfathomable money for an NFL player. So there are, I mean, Josh Allen maybe, if he continues to perform in Buffalo. Mitch Trubisky will come off of his rookie deal in a couple of years. So if you give Prescott top five money now, in two years it will not be top five money. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, and that's the thing. This whole deal is just constantly evolving. It's constantly changing, and that's why you. I think that's part of the reason why you see guys so desperately want to be the top-paid player at their position. It's not so much so that they can say they're the highest-paid player at their position in the league or the highest-paid player overall. It's because they know that as soon as they become the top-rated player or the highest-paid player, somebody else is going to be nipping at their heels to become the highest paid player. Like Julio and his new contract that's coming soon. Sure. A bunch of baseball games tonight. Jonathan Holder getting the start on the mound for the New York Yankees as the Yankees try to take two in a row from Baltimore at Camden Yards. Um, Holder in this spot, that's not as a... Wouldn't that be as like a uh, an opener? Yeah, I think that's the plan for tonight with him. That it's, a, it's going to use it as a bullpen day more than anything else. We'll get a couple innings and they'll go from there. Didn't Holder go down for a little while and then just come back up and his pitch better? Was it an yeah. injury or did he just get sent down? He just got sent down. He had a he had a rough stretch. Yeah, and he's five and two on the year with ERA north of six. Uh, it's time for the Pearl River Resort pick. 
of the day presented by the sports book at the Golden Moon in Philadelphia. Yesterday was not so good. I uh, I had the Braves plus 110 at Minnesota and Minnesota walked it off in the bottom of the ninth inning with a two-run jack to win it 5 to 3. Yesterday was a doubleheader by the way. That would be probably why Holder is starting. For who? Spot start. It just shortens up one of the days. You went through two starting pitchers on one last day. No, they didn't. They played one game last night. They had a doubleheader two days ago or three days ago against Boston. Yankees didn't play a doubleheader yesterday against oh, the Orioles. Th- no, that is wait. Oh, I'm a week ahead. They have a doubleheader at home against Baltimore next week. Never mind. Excuse oh. me. Jeez. I was like I was very confused. I was like, I have it right here. Anybody want to weigh in on the pick of the day? Is there anything you see that you just love tonight? I'm open to uh, to suggestions. Gambling on baseball, man. I'm, I, I, I can't. I can never figure it out. I'm gonna leave it to you. I'm excited you, you for like, Thursday when you decide on a preseason game to bet on. <laughs> some some of these picks have to. I do like Borky that you said that we were not going to uh, start the tally on on my record until we got to actual real football games. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna keep track of that, but until then, you never know. You can get Oakland at plus twenty two and on the road against the Cubs with. Yeah. Do, you, do you like that? Yeah. Just because of the value? Yeah, Oakland's really good. We get a soccer pick from a buddy of mine. It says Atlanta United plus 160 tonight. No Kimbrel for the Brooklyn Cubs. Where Where is the United? Are they at home? No way they're underdogs at home. Need to look up the MLS schedule. Did you see the atmosphere they had, though, on Saturday? It's insane every it, time they play. They have better atmospheres than the Falcons do, hands down. Yeah, with those big sweet tea flags? Oh, yeah. When they, when they played in a championship game, they won it. It is in Orlando tonight. Ooh. Bitter rivalry there. there. Do, uh, hey, Dad, are, are, <laughs> what did we miss? Just, what did I miss? Rippy's quick little, little jab there. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, hey, Dad, are the Giants backsliding? Uh, it looks like that. Yeah, it looks like they, uh, it was a little bit of a mirage there. But we'll see what happens. Well, it's not a mirage when you win 17 out of 20. No, I mean, I, I was saying that... Might not be maybe sustainable. They, yeah. They, they, and the, the problem is they were already so far behind. But we'll see. Three and a half back in the wild card. It's getting late. Oh, I know. I'm stalling because there's not a pick that I just love in these games tonight. Do that soccer one. Okay. Go for it. We'll take the Atlanta United plus 160. What is it? Uh, five stripe? Is that what they call themselves? Five stripes, you bet on yep. A tie. Five stripes. You think I should bet on a tie? We'll take uh, Atlanta United on the money line plus 160 tonight in Orlando. I think it's going to be hot there. College football fix is next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and you on this Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Stephen Godfrey joins us. He is at 38Godfrey on Twitter, and he is now a writer at Banner Society. Hey, how old are your kids? Oh, man. Can we just talk about school not starting yet? Because I'm dying. Uh, four and two. 
Well, the the reason I was going to ask, tomorrow's the first day of school for two of my three. Francis is not old enough. She's like more, Mother's Morning Out. But I was just thinking a minute ago, I got a, like a, the night before school starts uh, email from the principal at one of the schools, just kind of making right. sure everybody knows the policies. And I was thinking about how maddening is the uh, the drop-off line is on the first day of school. It's like parents it's, don't know how to drive. Oh, it's terrible. It's the worst thing in the world. However, it's totally unorganized, but everyone is so happy. At least at least I will be extremely happy this year. We were slightly sentimental last year. I am booting those guys out this year. We don't we, we've got another 10 days in Nashville and I think I might die. Huh. We did the uh, the end of the summer vacation this year. So so last week was full vacation week, and I would oh, I highly recommend Instagram. that. Yeah, I saw your Instagram. Uh, we yes. Uh, how's this for a smooth radio? Transition? <laughs> I'm not real active been, on Instagram. I know, but you're on there. Uh, yeah. uh, here's your smooth radio transition. I would love a late summer vacation, but I'm launching a new website. What the heck is Banner Society? Yeah, you know what? That's a great question. Um, right now, if you go to afootballwebsite.com, which is sort of our tongue-in-cheek joke for the past 60 days, uh, we, we, sat, <laughs> we sat on that domain, and we changed it every day to create a viral marketing campaign. Uh, Banner Society is going to be a multimedia college football destination year-round, Richard. Um, the actual site is going to launch closer to week one. But right now, if you go to afootballwebsite.com, enter your email, you're going to get our daily read option newsletter. So we're going to have exclusive content in there. But it is as multi-platform as you can get. It's uh, multiple podcasts. It's long-form stuff that, that if you've read my stuff before, you're familiar with. We're going to be on Twitch. We're going to be on TikTok. We're going to be on a bunch of apps that the 24-year-olds tell me that we need to be on uh, that I certainly don't have time to discover because I'm old. Uh, it's going to be a kind of an experiment in college football media. Uh, we have left SB Nation. Um, so this is a separate entity, but it's really fun. And the best part is totally free, not asking for anything, no dollars. So separate website, but under the same parent organization. Is that right? Still Vox Media? Yeah, Vox Media. That's V-O-X, not F-O-X, V-O-X Media. Um, And it is uh, kind of a a grand experiment as as media changes so dramatically in general. Uh, Most of us that are associated, so it's myself and – Spencer Hall, Ryan Nanny, uh, Bud Elliott, one of the leading recruiting writers in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. We were on so many different things anyway. We just wanted to create sort of like a an, like a, a loose confederacy group of uh, of college football media people that's separate from all the other sports. Um, I think myself and Spencer were going to be on that ESPN thing this fall, uh, the CFB 150. We're all doing different podcasts. This is just a way for us to affiliate together as college football. Uh, personalities, I hate that word. Media people, I don't know. A confederacy of dunces, if you will. That's totally fine with me, whatever pays the mortgage. Eh, there's a book. Go read the book sometime. I know, it's a great book. It's a fantastic yeah. book. Stephen Godfrey on your radio. Uh, okay, so the question for me is why? SB Nation was a known quantity. It's been there for a while. Um, and a really talented group of writers. I mean, you, you, you listed some of them off a, a second ago who all are focused on college football, but why mm-hmm. make the switch? Why make kind of a brand change? Because sometimes brand changes can be difficult. Yeah, they can be. But what we found was we were inside of SB Nation, which covered everything from 
golf to the WNBA to college basketball to the NFL, we found that we had sort of carved out our own little community anyway, and so it made more sense for us to, to kind of wall that off. I think bespoke kind of boutique media is, is moving towards a smaller direction. And one of the things that we found was there was a group of us, there's nine total, we all kind of have uh, a, a certain brand that we've cultivated together with our individual voices and the way that we cover college football. Um, and becoming our own organization helps us do stuff like live events. So we have we did a live uh, podcast in Birmingham during SEC Media Days. We packed it out. We were at capacity. We're going to do live shows coming up across the southeast this fall. We're going to sell merchandise. We're going to have some co-sponsored events. So uh, it's I, I hate the term lifestyle brand. It's definitely not that because I couldn't even tell you what that is, Richard. But it's a like-minded community with the goal being to inform you guys, to help you appreciate college football better, and to do it sort of in our own unique way. And, you know, it's it, it's a club. Who's your competition, Stephen? Are you guys competing with The Athletic? No, God, no. Um, I, I, look, man, I'm going to be honest with you. If I didn't work with this group of people in college football media, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do college football media. So what I mean by that, when you like, I have a ton of friends who work at The Athletic. Uh, you and I have a lot of friends that work at The Athletic in the industry. Uh, the Athletic is trying to do something that's completely different than us. We are trying to really hone in and be the appreciation machine. And so when it comes to college football specifically, we want to entertain you. We want to have fun with all the weird nuances of college sports because there's nothing like college football specifically anywhere in the world. There's 130-odd teams just at the FBS level. There's so many bizarre traditions and, and cultures. And I'm preaching to the choir here in Mississippi because everybody knows all this. But it's just covered in a different way than any other sport anywhere in the world. And I think the athletic is aiming for something that's, that's a little bit more established, and we are going to be the appreciation machine. We're going to be as weird and cutting edge as possible, but then we're also going to turn around and be as raw and unfiltered and honest as possible in our journalism about the state of this sport, about the corruption in it, and about the organized cartel aspects of the NCAA. I mean, if you're familiar with the work I've done over the last five years, I enjoy not pulling any punches and being as ruthless as possible, and this platform allows me to you know, maybe appreciate the quirky, fun things that happen in like a, a Wyoming, New Mexico State game on a Thursday and then tell you how student-athletes are getting screwed over on a Sunday. I don't think my intention with this conversation was to go down this road, but I feel like it's kind of where we've ended up. So state of the way people consume media at this point, yeah. in some ways what we do on a daily basis is old school and that this is a sports talk radio. You you and I grew up, you, you get in the car and you flip it on and, hey, that you listen to the sports talk radio show. I love what I'm doing. I'm great with it, and I still think there's a place for it. But podcast world is entirely different, and, and Hey Dad's got a podcast, and Rippy's got a podcast, and Borky's got a podcast, and this show's available via podcast. But what we're doing is so drastically different than something like what Barstool Sports is doing Sure. So where does how does all of this fit together? Is it just multiple streams that are available so that you can kind of pick a la carte what it is that you like? I think it's a lot of tribalism, which which actually mirrors college sports pretty accurately. And I think I think there's I like to use religious terminology sometimes because I do think it's about congregations and like minded people who worship the same things. You know, there's eighty 
80 wrecking something like that recognized uh forms of christianity right they're all roughly doing the same thing they're just doing it in ways that they appreciate in their own little monoculture and i think that's what we're aiming for i'm not trying to cast stones on anybody but a lot of the things that you mentioned are parts of institutions that are just not going to be around soon and i don't want to really necessarily get into the who and the what and the why but i think the reality is there i mean if you look at the state of mississippi the largest newspaper is owned by a company that's about to be merged and bought out and liquidated again. I mean, we have to change. And I think finding where your audience wants to go is a big part of that. By the way, tell Haydad, hey still no podcast invite. It's like Mississippi State fans don't want to hear from me. I don't understand. I don't want to hear from you, Godfrey. That's that's the way it goes. I'm just saying. All you, I mean, you have my phone number. Uh, I'll, I'll call you if anything comes up. Clang <laughs> wow. Clang up. <laughs> Almost like this I just still, got awkward. By the way, I, still, I have my uh, I have my more cowbell sitting on my desk still. Nice. Still, you know what the best part about those cowbells is? If someone were to break into your home, easily accessible weapon. Those things are serious. There's some weight behind it. Oh yeah. Hasn't that been part of the debate that's been out there about cowbells yeah, inside football stadiums? Yeah, I just said that. I I just said that as an old Miss grad. I do not mean to do that vortex, but. I was looking. I was moving stuff the other day, and I was like, "Man, this cowbell has some weight to it." And then I did not mean to imply on the radio that they're weapons and should be. You banned. see, I've always said about Godfrey. Now you heard it. There's the evidence. Oh God. Um, <laughs> hey, we talked not one ounce of college football. You got time to hang around, or do you need to split? Uh, I can do that segment. Okay. Let's uh, let's hang with Stephen Godfrey for uh, another segment and kind of dive into some uh, actual college football stuff, as opposed to allowing him just to uh, completely pump the new brand. Hey man, <laughs> I'm out here shilling. You brought me. You on. are shilling. Tell people again how they can get the newsletter before the website's readily available. Heyfootballwebsite.com. Heyfootballwebsite.com. We're going to take a quick three-minute timeout. When we come back, we'll talk some uh, college football with Stephen Godfrey, get some of his thoughts on the new season as it is now just 25 days away, unless you're counting to week zero, in which case it is only 18 days away. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi back with you. Shows brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, check them out online at mslandbank.com. That's Mississippi Land Bank. Stephen Godfrey with us on the Farm Bureau phone line. And we're going to continue the conversation. I said let's talk some college football, but i, I got to ask you about this. I was fascinated uh, by the story from the big lead earlier today, uh, Brian Jeffra wrote it, and it's a story, Stephen, about Fox, F-O-X, not Vox, who you work for, V-O-X, but Fox TV, and I guess the, the, the bullet points version of this is Fox wants more big properties in the college football world. They've already mm-hmm. got the Big 12, they've already got the Big 10, they've already got the Pac-12, which means... They want SEC football. There's a little bit of time left on the the CBS contract with the SEC. Um, Is this a reality that the SEC could be going away from CBS? And is your take the same as mine? This story and stories like this being out there are making the SEC absolutely salivate that there could be a bidding war coming up for its most marketable football game? 
Yeah, all those things are true. I would, just for clarification, because a lot of people get, I mean, it's very complicated, honestly. We're talking about a particular package with the SEC on CBS. So Fox wants to have more marquee broadcast games. Fox was just acquired. Fox sold all of their properties off to Disney recently, but they kept the Fox channel that you have on basic television, and they kept part. They kept FS1, right? The regional right. Fox Sports. They're going away. So what? To respond to that, they want more marquee A-list football games to compete, really, with that primetime ABC slot. And what they want to do, and this is the only thing I've heard that's that I would even deem to be legitimate right now is that if Fox and CBS get into a bidding war for those first, basically the first pick games, because, you know, we're in the South, we associate the 230 slot with the quote-unquote best SEC game of the day. The way that language is parsed out is to be determined, but the things that I've heard early is that both Fox and CBS are going to push to make those primetime games permanently. I don't love that. Uh, I mean, I bet ESPN ABC doesn't either. Well, for obvious reasons, yeah, it's going to eat into the market share. But what we've seen in the last five years since all of the conference networks have launched is that more and more inventory, or just gains, I should say, are moving into the primetime slot. Fans get frustrated by this. Um, locally, a great example, if you live in Jackson and you're going to Starkville, Oxford, even Baton Rouge, uh, and maybe Baton Rouge isn't a good example because they have more of a nighttime tradition. But if you have a 2.30 game in Starkville or Oxford – or Tuscaloosa, for that matter, you can kind of get there and back in a day. Night games present a whole different set of challenges. Obviously, you want your team to have the best spot, but with more and more inventory moving into primetime, it's changing the landscape of college football Saturdays. I don't know if the SEC would sign off on all primetime unless it was a unless it was built into a bid by Fox that was substantially larger than what CBS would offer. Currently, it's a $55 million a year package. It is criminally underpriced. Clay Travis has written about this a, a ton, about it being the most um, uh, undervalued um, package in all of sports television. And he's right about that. Um, what kind of numbers are we looking at? Uh, are we looking at 5X on the next contract? If Fox wants this badly enough... Could it be a 10x of the uh, of the current number? I would I, I five times seems likely, but again, I would be really really interested in what Fox is asking for in return. And so, what I mean by that again is how many games are they going to be in prime time? But, you know, networks want these games in prime time because they can sell more expensive advertising because you have a larger potential audience. It's that yeah, but the, but the problem that I see with that is right now Fox is already plugging some games into prime time out of the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12. Yeah, but look at those games. That's the, so that's, that's, the quiet, that's the quiet comment that nobody really makes in circles because it insults all of those other leagues that you just talked about. When you go and look at the highest-rated primetime games year over year, what, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get people fighting for Ohio State, Penn State, right? You're going right. to get people fighting for maybe maybe like a Texas, Oklahoma State. There's only a select amount of inventory that can pull a particular number in the Nielsen ratings from those leagues. Whereas what the here's the biggest thing: the SEC can offer you more marquee games that are willing to go to primetime than any other league. You can't do Ohio State-Michigan because that's at 11 a.m. They're not going to move that to prime time. 
You can't do Red Texas, River. Texas, Oklahoma not, is not they're moving. They're not moving to prime time. Pac-12 obviously has its scheduling issues, and the other thing is that the Pac-12 could maybe only – I think they might be able to offer you two games that are marquee to draw number right now because of the condition of the Pac-12. Southern Cal, Oregon. Oregon, Washington, too, maybe. Like, or, okay. I mean, Oregon, Washington is a big rivalry. I don't know if it translates nationally. If Oregon beats Auburn, I think that that game will have some heat this year because of the quarterback situation at Washington. But if you're looking from an inventory perspective, let's just real fast go through, would the cocktail party go to primetime? Probably. Would anybody at Georgia or Florida just hate that? I, mean, I don't think so. LSU, Florida. Alabama, hey, LSU. But, but, okay, let me, let me press pause on that thought, though, because think about the landscape that Fox has got. If, it, now, if, if they just can draw that many more people to a 7 o'clock kickoff, okay. But they're moving to this 11 a.m. kickoff that's going to immediately follow their morning pregame show to try and rival college game day. They've already got a night game. That 2.30, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central slot is wide open and is tailor-made for them to just take that existing package and slide it over, isn't it? Well, what I think would happen would be a combination thereof, where they would sign a deal with the SEC for X amount of top-level inventory to be designated. You know, they hold drafts for, like, the Big Ten. Like, Fox and ESPN get together for, like, the top-level Big Ten inventory, and, like, one year Ohio State, Penn State goes to Fox, one year it goes to ABC, ESPN. They would have to do something like that with ESPN again. And I think what Fox would do is, depending on the week, because college football has so many weird traditions and rhythms, you might have a week where you have two SEC games on Fox at 2.30 and at 8, and then maybe you have an SEC game at 2.30 and then a really, really that one really, really good Big 12 or Pac-12 game in primetime. I don't think it would be so inflexible that all the SEC, all, all those great SEC games are moving to primetime on Fox. I think some yeah. of them would, and there is a concerted effort to move, quote-unquote, the very best games to 6 p.m. Central or later across college football. I think the idea of the big game at 2.30 is not going to exist in 10 years. That's fascinating. And and you say in 10 years, but the current SEC-CBS contract runs out in four years, I think. I think right. it's four years that's left on that contract. Yeah, when I say um, 10 years, I'm talking about I think everyone will eventually shift their programming slate to prime time. And it really, I think that, I do well, think... But- it hurts a little bit. I do. And and one thing I was going to say about that that's fascinating, there has been in the last three years kind of a reshift in focus from ESPN. They've put a lot more value in the 11 a.m. Central noon Eastern time slot than they used to. I mean, if you look at the catalog of games that ESPN is kicking off at noon Eastern, 11 Central, those games don't even compare to what they put in that time slot eight years ago. You're talking about the, the, the Pam Ward, Michigan State, Northwestern game. Yes, the one that was on when we were all in college and you woke up and you just watched it because it was on and the JP game hadn't kicked off yet. I think the reason why is that they acquired more inventory and I think you're able to offer a better quality in that slot on flagship ESPN. And and they love the idea of putting a good game coming directly out of game day. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the goal is to bridge you into a total viewership. So, so in other words, like you're waking up, you're making coffee, you're watching game day, and you're going to bed at midnight having consumed a day's worth of college sports. Those of us who got old realize it's, that's kind of a fool's errand if you've got kids or obligations, what have you, but that is their goal. I mean, there's still, there's still a, a hand-picked amount of games, and I, I was looking at the September schedule for work purposes. I think, like, Pitt, Penn State, is a game like they've always kept that at the 11 a.m. Central 
They they want to have those one or two just kind of decent enough to sell you like like hey would you do this for five bucks like you, you stick around after game day and watch this but they know now that hey Indiana and Northwestern that's going to end up on the Big Ten network and you're probably going to be an alumnus of one of those schools watching that game that's not going to get you to stay, to stay tuned yeah. It really is a fascinating landscape, and I guess for the second segment in a row, I've intended for us to talk about one thing, and it's turned into something altogether oh, different. Oh, whatever. But... Look, dude, Clemson, Clemson's going to win the national title. There, done. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and you continue to beat the drum for a group of five teams that nobody else cares about. Oh, really? What a cop answer. Ah, I just wanted a reaction out of you. I don't even believe what I just said. Oh, man. I, 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 I tell you what I want us to talk about next time. Yeah. If it makes sense, and if it could ever be accomplished to do a split so that the group of five teams that I know you're extremely passionate about actually have a legitimate shot to play for a national title, but their Just own national the title. Field. Say what? No, they're not, they're not going to do that. I, I, how much time do we have left in the segment? They're not going to do that. I, I mean, like Mike Oresko, mm. commissioner of the AAC, has already said I there's know. absolutely no way they can sell their partners on a consolation national title. We'll, uh, we'll dive a little deeper on that next time. Thanks for your time. Expand the field to eight. That's all you got to do. Banner Society, that's where you can uh, find him, afootballwebsite.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.